Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Good afternoon, Windy. And our tactics guy and my senior political advisor, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> uh, oh, shit, I was going to try a really dodgy pun there <laughs> based on Cummings' name, but it doesn't. It's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's this guy. Um, have you seen Josh Berry, the comedian, has been doing funny short videos uh, sort of spoofing the Tories, and um, he did one this morning about Dominic Cummings, in which he calls him Big Daddy Cum Cum, and also the, <laughs> the Cumquat, which I enjoyed very much. I thought it was excellent. Uh, how are you both, buddy? How are you doing? Pretty good, Wendy. Pretty good, thank you. Enjoying the the decent weather and uh, the kind of relaxation of um, enjoy enjoying people enjoy the relaxation of the um, of the stay at home um, branded. You're coping remarkably well with all of this, buddy. <laughs> all I need in my life is a little bit of structure and the ability to go out and run and yeah I, I'm, I'm very um, I'm very adaptable I'm like a bit of a cactus I just need a little bit of water a little bit of sunshine a little bit of exercise and I, I just kind of get on with it um I don't know if I've been as strict as everybody else in my social distancing, but it's it's very difficult when, when I have a family like I have and they just always kind of want to be on top of you. So I've, I've tried my best, but I'm, I personally I've been getting through it okay. Good, good. And how about you, Nathan? How are you doing? Uh, I found it more difficult at times, you know, uh, the sensation of being in the same building day after day after day and days blurring into each other. It, it does get difficult, um, but it doesn't stay difficult. Something comes along and I enjoy a film or I have a good phone call with a friend or whatever and it picks up again so it's difficult but it's not impossible and it's not just sort of an inwards downward spiral so yeah I'm alright Do you give yourself a change of scene every now and again like literally just swapping rooms to do tasks? Yeah and I also am very lucky in that I have a garden so I can get out and see the sun a little bit uh, recently which has been like really really helpful and get some fresh air and the like Um, that's that's been um, uh, yeah I'm very lucky to have a garden basically yeah, I'm pretty uh, and also that. like body, I've got plenty of time to be well. For me, it's just physio at the moment rather than like genuine cardio or whatever. But I, I, I never miss a physio session. <laughs> I can take my time with them and all of that, which, which is nice. Nice, excellent. And uh, we did a rewatch of the 1984 UEFA Cup final uh, Monday just gone. Thank you to everyone who joined in and made it fun. A special thanks to the four people who were watching along with us who'd actually been at the game and were sharing. The their sort of personal memories it was fantastic to have them there um really lovely to get kind of insights from people who'd lived through that era some of whom were very young and were sort of sharing childhood memories but some of whom had really good recollections of the players and were able to enlighten some of the rest of us who didn't know the players so well lots of fun wasn't it Bardi? yeah it was great i was a bit concerned when um when that game was picked because i was like you realize guys it went to extra time and penalties so it's going to be a lo- it's going to be a long watch but it, the game flew by and it, it was useful having um, having those people in in the discord chat because you, you're so used to commentators um, making remarks based on news at that time so they were talking about things that were happening around the club and regarding the players mm. which was current news and if you were watching the game 
at that moment you would you would know exactly the context and everything else about it so for us we were a little bit lost so it was great to have um i think we had tara gabriel sifro and i've met i think you said four so i can't remember who the fourth person was but it was yeah. great for them to pass their comments on and just learn a little bit and also it was great to see a football match with just two substitutes you forget how um how kind of new the the free substitute rule is which player stood out to you nathan as impressive from that team uh, and what you're going to say, Hewton, but I'm going to beat you to it. I'm afraid you shouldn't have led me in there. I was really impressed with Hewton. Uh, athletic, really strong on the turn, good first touch, smart passing options. Um, I okay. Hmm, should I? <laughs> I'd sort of vaguely seen highlights of this game before, and was really impressed with the very short impression I had of Mickey Hazard. I saw him t- receive the ball deep, beat a player with some really nice feet, and and hit a neat diagonal ball. And then in the actual game, I was he didn't live up to that. It was uh, okay. The game as a whole, uh, I really enjoyed the '61 Cup final. This I was slightly disappointed in I, I, the way that we played and, and the way that the game. I mean, we won obviously, and it's an incredible piece of history and, and all of that, and it's a remarkable sort of event. But as a football match, I, I was a little disappointed with this one. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. There were a lot of long balls, and Hazard was at the centre of a lot of that. To me, it seemed more by um, like I, I I thought that Hazard was being encouraged to hit the ball long at every opportunity. Yeah, of course. Um, he's clearly or was clearly a very very talented player. His touch was great. Uh, often yeah. his long-range passing was good. It wasn't always the case. There were a lot of misjudged long balls as well. Um, so I, yeah, I fully agree with you. It wasn't his wasn't his best game by any stretch. Uh, actually, it was interesting that f- for large periods of the game, we didn't have any control in the midfield. In fact, neither team had any control in the midfield. And no. instead, the ball was just being sent forward and back and forward and back. And it did make for a slightly sort of repetitive, jerky match. But um, there were some moments of quality in there as well and I thought Steve Archibald was at the heart of a lot of the quality yeah. his, his kind of subtle touches and link up play were excellent I like Danny Thomas on the right as well um, he wasn't always neat and tidy but he played with a lot of forward momentum and his close control when he was dribbling with the ball was, was good to watch I can see why he was a popular player at the time he impressed me I, also the fact that Spurs were missing Hoddle Ardiles was only like 40% fit he was only able to come on with 10-15 minutes to go and um, the last 10 15 minutes of normal time were, were exhilarating it was pretty good out there and uh, I from Anderlecht I really enjoyed watching uh, Morton Olsen who was who was playing the sweeper role and he, we, we don't see this mm. dialogue we don't see this player anymore in, in modern football he was part of the back four and then he would step up into midfield as and when he was needed uh, I, I personally I preferred it to the 61 final I don't know whether it was just because it just seemed it seemed closer to what we were watching now and maybe 61 was just too far away I also think the 61 final was was hurt really badly because of the the, the Leicester player who was playing on with a broken mm-hmm. leg. And the last thing I, I kind of want to say on it is I thought Graham Roberts was every time I watch him play, he's in, he's outstanding. He's he's a centre back. Yes, he does go through the back of every striker. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would. He definitely wouldn't get away with it now. But he was. He had his head, his foot on everything. Uh, he scored the the equaliser, and it was a very kind of Sergio Ramos performance. It reminds me of the 
the the final where Bale scored the second goal, where Madrid were out of it and Atletico were going to win, and then last minute Ramos pops up like he like he has done many times throughout his career and scores a crucial goal. And he did have the he did play a bit like Sergio Ramos, and he, yeah, he deserves um, he deserves a lot of respect. And it's unfortunate that not just footballers but celebrities kind of they go on where they should just kind of like stop. <laughs> they go on and they end up ruining their legacy. But he was an outstanding footballer and probably deserves more credit from our generation than he actually gets as in terms of who he was as a footballer yeah I fully agree with that really good performance from Roberts um lovely to see just lovely to see like one of the most historic Spurs moments and watch it in amongst a group of Spurs fans um we will be doing more of these watch alongs they've been a lot of fun um so yeah if you're interested uh sign up for discord we've got a discord channel uh we've tweeted it out a few times now so you can yeah get ready to, to to watch along next time we do it we have some news to talk about, some actual Spurs news. So, I mean, this one's more of a rumour than news at the moment, but Lewis Campos has left his job at Lille and it's being rumoured that he, he might join us in some kind of sporting director director of football type role. Uh, he previously worked with Mourinho at Real Madrid where he was a scout. They are on very good terms, we know that much. Um, Nathan, what do you know about Lewis Campos? Well, I know that the players that were signed under him at Monaco were very impressive. Uh, And then after he left, Monaco suffered in their recruitment. Now, to be fair, they also had a dramatic change in their funding as he left as well. Uh, He then went to Lille, where, again, uh, Lille made a... um, a net profit in the three years that he was there and also they've shot up the table at the same time Mm. um so what we can definitely be sure of is that the signings that were made under his uh directorship um were very very impressive now i also hear negative things about him from people within the industry uh with regards to how much credit he personally deserves for those signings um so i really i don't know how but i i want to sort of research into that as much as i can um essentially on paper he looks to be incredible but there are um there are some rumors at least that he he's he's getting more credit for these things than he should that's a really tricky one though isn't it because mm. even if he's not directly been responsible for identifying players and bringing them in um he, he's put the he's he's put the environment in place that can allow it to happen I, I, at least that much is is true and he's done it at two different clubs so the some of the players that he signed at monaco for example Bernardo Silva, Bakayoko, Fabinho, Lamar, Mendy, all for relatively low prices. They were all then sold on for, you know, flipped for ridiculous prices. James Rodriguez. Nicolas Pepe is now Arsenal. Martial. Uh, Lille, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah you know, he's got, he can't argue. He's got a history of, of buying low, selling high. Um, Bardi, do you know much about him? No, but I've had a little look through his transfers and... The kind of over his time period, he sold Liao to AC Milan, who I don't think looks anything special. He signed him for free and flipped him for 18 million. And um, if he's able to, if he's able to identify good players, I think we've got a question on this later. If he's able to identify good players, however he does it for a small price and then flip them for a good price, I think that's something that Spurs have been have been lacking over the last five years. Um, been unable to refresh our squad literally because we don't sell anybody. And if we can, if we can sign a player build him and sell him and then do the same again 
all in the same time keeping our major key players, then I th- it can only be a good thing. Indeed, and I think some of the rumoured um, views on or some some of the tropes about Mourinho's uh, abilities in the transfer market are that he likes tall players, he likes older players who who've won things. Um, Rose Luis Campos, we know, tends to favour younger players. Uh, he he doesn't necessarily insist on established players. So he he might be willing to take more of a risk on an unknown quantity. So perhaps that would balance things out nicely. It, it gives Mourinho someone that he he gets on well with. He can we know he can work with. Um, so from that perspective, you're kind of uh, making him feel good about the situation. But also then you're you, you've got someone who's got a different methodology, a different focus on signing. And that seems like a logical that seems like a logical thing to me. I, I do feel nowadays that the the head coach at a club has too much to do to the point where they really other than telling someone what they want in a player I don't think they need too, too much involvement in the transfer market I just think the too, there's too many other activities for them to be getting on with mm-hmm. to worry about player recruitment as well so I've been very keen to have someone come in and oversee all of this and if that also means that they oversee things like young player loans out of the club then all the better because that's an area we've struggled with in the last few years so someone to come in take care of negotiations head up the recruitment utilize their network and their links it seems like a no-brainer mm-hmm. so in the the summer of 2013 which i think is the right one to attribute to campos although I, I, i'm struggling with the details on exactly when he was and wasn't there but i think it makes sense because in the summer of 2013 real madrid signed danny carvajal from leverkusen they signed casemiro from sao paulo they signed Isco from Malaga and they signed Iramendi from Real Sociedad. They then also went on to sign a certain Gareth Bale from Tottenham Hotspur, but I don't imagine he had much to do with that. <laughs> and how does that make you feel, Nath? I mean, I mean, if that is the right summer, the, the way that that sort of matches with the trends at, at Monaco and Lille of, of signing... I mean, you know, Isco wasn't exactly a, a shining hidden gem, but it's still, you know, uh, a s- smart purchase along with, you know, Iramendi, who who I think was brilliant and should have worked out for, for Real Madrid, and Casemiro, who's obviously been incredible. Again, wasn't like an absolute unheard of player, but relative to Real Madrid's level. Um, I don't know. I It's difficult for me, and I can't, like, go too much into what i've heard and who i've heard it from obviously of course yeah um but I, I i hear i hear a lot of bad things about him but i look at the records of how clubs performs while he was there and we have essentially three clubs to look at and it all looks really excellent so it's difficult for me to <laughs> say one way or the other on this um certainly we do need a director of football hmm. um i'm just having a very hard time getting a grasp on campus fair enough do we know how data driven he is uh, we do not. Okay, I think that 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 would be interesting to know what his recruitment strategies are. Whether he's just got such a network that people say, you know, proper football guys say, come and have a look at this boy. He's better than anything I've ever seen. Or whether he's looking at data and looking at underlying numbers and trying to find trying to find people who stand out. That yeah, I, mean, I think it's exciting. I think uh, the the link does seem genuine. Watch this space, I guess, and whether he whether he joins. But I'm excited by it. The other news is that the players have. Re- return to training so they're now training in small groups on the training field they seem 
they seem in good spirits, as you'd imagine. Uh, we've had no known um, cases of COVID-19 within the squad as yet. Who knows whether that's going to be inevitable. I'm doing another podcast with Alex Benham to follow up the first one. Uh, Alex was the researcher we spoke to, or I spoke to, about the impact of COVID-19 on football and some of the previous pandemics which have been similar. And it was really fascinating to hear Alex's yeah. research and views. He was very pessimistic about Project Restarts, and I am also. Uh, but the Premier League is is going full steam ahead, it seems. And so Spurs are going to have to slowly up the ante when it comes to players coming back and training and getting back into shape, ready to play games. Um, having said all of this, and sort of if I, if I take that kind of negativity out of my mind briefly, it was nice to see the players back. So, so seeing their smiles on the training field did make me feel good, I must admit. Well, specifically, it's nice to see Harry Kane and Bergvine on on the training pitch as well, you know, um, and Son as well uh, back back on the on the on the pitch, you know. It's really felt like it had been a while. <laughs> well, it literally has been, and yeah. um, you know, no one is benefiting from the pandemic. But if any club has come close, it's a club who were missing <laughs> three of their best players and were in an absolute state, you know, and who now have them back. Yeah, there was another controversy amidst all this, though, which was. Serge Aurier and his haircut. So, what do we know about this? We know that Aurier uh, put a photo on Instagram of his barber, presumably in his house, cutting his so. hair, and said, "It's a nice haircut. It looked great." Um, <laughs> but Aurier shouldn't have been doing that, and least of all, he shouldn't have been putting on Instagram. Uh, he then took to Instagram to defend himself when he was called out on it, which was a really bad look as well. Amidst all of this, there are other players who seem to have had suspiciously professional looking haircuts so the <laughs> Celso Alderweireld Lamella have all had their hair their hair, haircut in very professional ways now we don't know whether they were cut by professionals or whether they were cut by family <laughs> because members because they didn't put it on Instagram because they didn't the Instagram it exactly um, how do you feel about all this Bardi? I mean it's a bit stupid Aurier as you said clearly other players have had their haircut I don't think any of them I don't think any of those players actually married a hairdresser um, he I should... think Ericsson was dating a hairdresser although obviously he's not with us that, that's just came to my head that's all Did they, lucky him they, he doesn't have to go anywhere yeah they split up after he started to lose his hair and the financial benefits <laughs> of, of marrying a hairdresser was no longer any good for him but yeah, oh yeah, come on, have a bit of common sense. There's a lot of people out here, including myself, who've got bad hair at the moment. So, um, you got Aubameyang was uh, was photographed training for Arsenal, and his hair looks awful. I mean, it, it it looks bad when he's had it cut, but you can see that he's <laughs> he's been following the rules as well. He finally looks like a 30 year old man instead of a, a child. So, um. If you're going to get your hair cut, get it cut, but then shut up about it. Don't do a picture of you posing in, in Davinson's Columbia top with your hairdresser looming above your head. It's just ridiculous. A um, lot of people have broken lockdown. It's not It's not a law. It's not. You're not going to get sent to prison for it. So if you break it, at least shut up about it. That's his problem. Or he, he, he never thinks anything through from, from challenges, from passes, from defensive positions to his life, to his social media. He, he needs really to take a four-second 
second rule before he thinks of to do anything and it's just what he's done here and Nathan what did you make of it all um I mean yeah I, I think a good point with the other mis- like suspiciously good hairdos going on around it's like I could use this as another opportunity to rag on Sergio Aurea, um but like I think this just shows a flaw in the general plan which is okay everyone comes to this place and gets tested and then they're not allowed to have contact with anyone during this period of time and it's like the thing with the test is like immediately after you've had it it's worthless it only tells you the past and if you've like if you've gone to a place to get tested and you've walked past someone else on the way back then the test has like lost significant value um and when you're operating a a sort of a shut-in program with hundreds of footballers, several of whom are as stupid as Sergioria, they're going to like <laughs> go and get haircuts in between the test and the result. Uh, and and there's, you know, Troy Deeney made the argument that like, what, I'm, I'm allowed on a football pitch for entertainment to like get in a corner and rub shoulders with 19 yeah. other blokes but I'm not allowed to get a haircut like it's it's not fair it's not reasonable and you're not going to see your players abiding by it for that exact reason which means that the entire thing is is a massive risk which you know for me the thing to underline here is not Sergio Aurea's stupidity we're already aware of that it's the way that that affects a plan to make football happen under these circumstances yeah I, I fully agree although I would say the, the follow-up post that he made on I think it was again on Instagram yeah really made me angry <laughs> like <laughs> i just thought he's he just needs to shut up yeah. and it's like what bardi says just think before you do anything serge it was a really bad idea to put the photo on instagram in the first place um are you that worried about maintaining your your uh content on instagram that you need to put a, a photo that's going to cause potential controversies it's just he's an idiot he's a bell end on and off the pitch and it was very frustrating that he then kind of defended his position. Uh, but Nathan, you're absolutely right. You're completely right. I would like to say, because we, we have got a bit down and a bit depressing, it was nice to see how he came back, as you, as you guys have said. There's a lovely, um, there's a lovely uh, video on Instagram of Kane versus Lloris, where Kane is trying to score a certain amount of goals by one-touch spin and then shoot. He's doing it beautifully off his left foot, right foot. Um, he, for me, he looks like he's, he's like holding a little bit of timber around his middle. I thought that. Yeah. Good, good. That means he's been resting. Yeah. That means he's been resting and like providing energy with which to heal with. Like if this enforced break <laughs> um, means that Harry Kane is back to full fitness, they can take my parents, you know. But do, do you know what I have thought about Kane is he's, he, unfortunately for Kane, he, I think he's got the DNA makeup of somebody that if he's not burning 4,000 calories a day, <laughs> yeah. he's going to get huge. As soon as he's, the, the mo- yeah, the moment he stops playing football, he's going to do like what happened to Carlo Ancelotti, just go boom. He's going yeah. to be, because he'll lose his hair and he'll end up looking, he'll maybe manage some championship team and he'll end up looking like uh, Rafa Benitez because he's, he's just not going to be able to maintain his figure, I don't think, once he <laughs> stops running around every day. We've seen Kane play when he's been a bit chunkier though and it didn't affect his, didn't affect anything about his game really. In in, in many ways, he, he almost became more cumbersome and, and more immobile when he bulked up in terms of muscle when he became really hev- like heavily muscular in his upper body I felt he was slightly less agile uh, I'd, I'd prefer him to be I mean, he's never
never going to go back in time, is he? But um, I was watching, I was watching a, a video the other day of um, all his goals from the last season at White Hart Lane, and he was scoring some ridiculously agile goals of mm. bending his body into shapes, mm-hmm. which I don't think we'll see him do anymore. There was the the hip high left footed strike against Stoke from outside the area, where the flexibility to be able to get into that body position, and then there was a weird goal which he scored against maybe Southampton, where Walker won the ball up really high up and he crossed it in, and then Kane's ability just to bend his body and scissor kick it in was just amazing that's the Kane that I would like us to see again but I, I don't think we will but um, yeah I, I, w- I would prefer him looking a bit slimmer than um, than, than Chunky Kane that's fair that's fair um, I noticed as well there were some some pressing drills that the official Spurs account tweeted out as well which is quite to see. <laughs> that's useful that's good modern training yeah absolutely <laughs> Got a few questions, so we'll start off with one from Brody Ferson, who emailed in to podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. He says, "Big name sales such as Bale or Coutinho generate huge opportunities to reinvest in the team and squad. What two players should Spurs have sold in the seasons following our good results in 15-16, when the squad value was probably near the highest it had been?" Nathan, who stands out as a candidate that we perhaps could have cashed in on at that point? Uh, 15-16. Well. <laughs> Moussa Dembele's stock was incredibly high at the end of 15-16 although he was suffering a suspension no was that the next season oh god no 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 no, he wasn't suspended uh, but his stock was extremely high Hmm. Um, there was no way for us to know this but his body then rapidly deteriorated after that summer Um, if we could have psychically known uh, and also had a replacement lined up that would have been an incredibly smart bit of business but yeah there was no way to know that Uh, whereas uh, it would have been interesting to see what what interest there was for Lamella uh, and similarly um, how much we could have cashed in on the excitement around Delhi. Now obviously Delhi has grown as a player um, and put in you know several good seasons in that time. Um, I think he's been over criticised in the last sort of 18 months or so but that's beside the point. Um, but I, I agree with the general point is that you should sell these these magnificent wonderful elite level players when their stock is at their highest if you have the recruitment ability to to reinvest that money smartly which probably we haven't had we didn't have during the who did we buy in the 60, summer of 2016 um, but you know you get the general idea here is that there's no point getting rid of extremely good players like Delhi or Lamella or whatever if you're not going to invest very smartly in their replacement well so we that t- summer 2016 we sold uh, Mason and Bentaleb yep. and Nassim Chadley sorry no Bentaleb was sold in the in the January window but Mason and Chadley for example we sold and yeah. we signed wait for this Victor Wanyama Vincent Janssen yep. George Kevin and Kudu yep <laughs> and the big dog Moussa Sissoko yeah for yeah. 30 Not million pounds I mean Wanyama was a good purchase obviously mm. uh, in transmission <laughs> I mean, you you guys missed the obvious one from from that season. It was Eric Dyer, fifty million to Manchester United. That was the oh, that's a great shout, Bobby, yeah, of course. That was the that was probably a an example of of a player that he has. That was his peak. But I, I do agree on the Dembele thing. He got suspended. That was the season Leicester won the league. Oh, it was. So he okay. got he got suspended. He got he did the gouge against Chelsea. So he was suspended for the start of the previous season. But while we're here, I probably need to come clean about something. Thing that in, in two, I've 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 never admitted I'm wrong on this, but it just reminded me <laughs> of this. 
in um, in 2004, I was flying back from America with my mate Sasha, and um, we had we had a big argument. It was back in those days, no telephones or anything like that. So we flew from LA to New York, New York back to London. It took forever, maybe for like two days. And for most of it, we argued over Robbie Keane, and he was like, "We should sell Robbie Keane for like back then 25 million." I was like, Are "You crazy? He's our best player. We should never, we shouldn't sell him." And until this moment, I've always said we shouldn't have sold him, but we probably should have sold him in 2004 for 25 million. Yeah, I just needed to get that off my chest. This is this is the new me. I'm gonna admit when I'm wrong, but I'm just gonna take 15 years to get there yeah we've recorded i reckon we're closing in on 200 episodes now and this is the first time you admit you're wrong and to do so you've gone back to 2004 15 years i could have killed somebody accidentally on purpose and gone to prison and got out and then (laughs) and then admit to something on a podcast yeah i was wrong about that So the only other player, I suppose, is Danny Rose, but it would have been too early to sell him at that point, wouldn't it? Yeah, he, definitely. He was mm. he was only just arriving at his sort of best form. It was probably mid twenties then. It was the year after it was the the time to sell Rose, I think, when we sold yeah. Walker as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, really good question. And I, I again, I I agree too fully with the with the idea of of realizing when a player's at their peak and cashing in and reinvesting. Uh, so this one's from Call Me Kenneth via Twitter. He says, please. Reflect on the masterstroke of Spurs not buying a striker in mm. January, successfully predicting the pan- pandemic, and knowing that Kane and Sonny would have time to recover from serious injuries. That was a few quid saved, right? Uh, obviously, a bit <laughs> facetious there. And I mean, the first thing to say is when we decided not to buy a striker in January, Son wasn't injured, and it looked like it wasn't the worst decision in the world. It kind of looked like it. You could see from both perspectives why you would choose to or not to invest in a striker. As soon as Song got injured it looked like an idiotic move and <laughs> we were very very short and we were kind of playing Delhi up front and we were playing Lucas up front and we were panicking about what other options we had whether Troy Parrott was able um, as it turns out we've kind of got a bit lucky as Nathan mentioned earlier uh, and if we do finish off the season we'll have presumably both Son and Kane available for the rest of it um, but what do you think Bardi in hindsight about the, the January window and the decision not to buy a striker I mean there's there's no doubt in that the not having a striker cost us in those few weeks where where Sun was injured, but now we have we have escaped having Piontek or God forbid William <laughs> Jose on our books or Giroud and everybody. Well, Giroud there was when how he played against us when we played Chelsea away, he was actually really good. But yeah, so we we have we have saved ourselves quite a bit of money instead of paying Piontek's wages over this period of time. It, we got I think well how many games we got left nine. If we get back eight or nine games, I still don't think we can finish top four but I think we can do something and really build some kind of momentum with Kane and with Kane and Son back in the team and how about you Nathan uh, I guess it sort of underlines the nature of conducting business in football, right? At, at first, failing to sign a striker was sort of frustrating but understandable. And then we had all those injuries and suddenly it was a ridiculously stupid decision. And now football has been on pause and our players are coming back and it's suddenly a stroke of genius. Is that like, you, you don't know, <laughs> like you you should really only assess a transfer based on the information that was available at the time and both the idea that Kane and Son and also Bergwijn would be out injured for a serious period of time was incredibly difficult you know extremely unlikely and then even more unlikely is that this global pandemic would happen Mm. um 
I thought that we should have bought a defensive midfielder in January and that situation is not one that has changed despite players being injured since then and coming back since then as well. Um, by the way, Piontek no longer starts for Hertha Berlin, who I believe is still a relegation threat. So shout outs to my man. Bullet dodged. Uh, I, I suppose the, the situation was complicated even further by Troy Parrott's position. Um, yes. The discussion about whether or not he's ready, the, the fact that we know he's going to be a good player or we've got a, a high hopes that he's going to be a very good player and we're not wanting to just randomly throw in Piontek, who's coming into his late 20s as a, another player to stand in Parrott's way. Um, and that, that did add a layer of complexity which other clubs didn't have. Yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm really torn on this one. I do think in some ways we should be looking to buy a versatile forward who can lead the line, but also play wide. Um, but on the other hand, if Parrot is good to go next season, perhaps he'll stick around and not be on loan. Don't know. It's uh, it's so dependent on what he shows in, in the pre-season friendlies, I guess. Uh, would, would strikers still be a priority position for you this summer, Bardi? Yeah, like you said, I think we need somebody who's a bit more adaptable. Bergwijn and Delhi, they're adaptable. They're not strikers, they're, really. They're not they? strikers. They're, no, we've they'll, seen they'll that. chip in with goals from midfield, but they're not striking. Yeah, they can't pull it off. We need somebody who I, I still think we need a, a more of a physical presence than Sun. Sun does a great role through the middle, but I still like to see him working in tandem with Delhi and Kane. I, I, if Troy Parrott isn't go- if Troy Parrott's not going to get the minutes, then he needs to go out on loan, and we need to play. We need to buy somebody who can play, who can take the minutes off yeah, Kane. Yeah. Uh, if that is a if that is a Lorente type, but obviously a bit more mobile than Lorente, then then so be it. But if if Parrot doesn't have the if he doesn't have the faith of the management, then we need someone who does. I'm not sure who that is. I agree. I agree. We've got a couple of questions from Yusuf Khan. Uh, he says, is it time to finally accept that Lamella is not a Premier League player? Not in terms of skill, but in terms of him not being able to stay fit for a season. Now, Bardi, you've been on this, you, you've been thinking this for a while, that although you like Lamella, he can't be relied upon. Do you, mm-hmm. Would you just shift him out as soon as possible? Yeah, I think so. If, if, if the price is right for Lamella, then, then sell him. He remains, when fit, a great squad player, someone who can come off the bench and can change games in a short period of time. He can see a pass. He he is really good at pressing everything else. He doesn't score enough goals, but he, yeah, he remains he remains an excellent squad player, but he just doesn't. He's not able to to maintain his fitness over, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to just make something up now and I just hope it's right. I don't think he can play 35 to 40 games a season. I don't know if he ever has for Tottenham, but maybe once, but yeah, he, he's not reliable in that sense. And I guess you'd have to imagine that he's on fairly big money as well. So he's taking up a significant portion of the wage bill whilst not being available for large chunks of the season. Nathan, how do you feel about Lamella at this point? Yeah, I mean, it entirely depends on on what interest there might be for him, what other teams are prepared to pay for him, whether he's willing to go, what wages he's on. Yeah, I mean, we we know what he is. I mean, you know, you're 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 right, uh, and so is Yusuf about you know clearly a talented player, not a world beater, really struggles with fitness, takes quite a while to come back from injury, um, and also. He's at his best when he's getting a run of games and he never gets a run of games anymore. So Yeah, that's a really good um, point. What value do you think he could command? Uh between fifteen and thirty five million. Thirty five million. Yeah, right wow. at the top end, potentially. I don't know. I, I don't see I don't see many clubs with the financial clout to, to, to throw down thirty five. I was think I I'd probably think between ten and eighteen eighteen million I think is probably the highest we'll get for him. I'd be thrilled with twenty million for him at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. It does feel like it's time for for Lamella to move on now. We're quite well stocked for attacking midfielders. 
I mean, I would also like us to move Lucas on. I think Lucas is another prime example of a player that we should sell at some type of peak value. Uh, yeah. Not not to say that he, not to say that he's uh, reached any kind of obvious peak in terms of form, but in terms of perception, I think Lucas would command a decent fee, and we'd be able to reinvest that. He's, that that would be a logical step. But I, I think have, Mourinho really likes him. We should have put him up for sale last summer after he'd scored mm. twice against Ajax, and there was so much excitement about him immediately after the final. Whistle, he, you've, you've <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the uproar. 60 million pounds sold. So here's another one from Yusuf. He says, Since it was the anniversary of our greatest game the other day, are moments like those better than, say, winning the League Cup? Or is that just a sorry excuse for not winning a trophy? Bardi, we'll start with you. Such a, such a hard it's such a hard question because uh, obviously the the Ajax game is a game that will, will remain in my memory and everyone else's memory for the rest of my life. It was an incredible moment. But then it is the the the, the question of what do we have to um, what do we have next to it? We don't have anything. It's because we didn't we didn't win the trophy in Madrid. So whenever you think about the Ajax moment, as amazing as it is, there's always that tinge that we but we didn't. Win the, we didn't win the final but then if you look back at the, the League Cup we won against Chelsea you remember the final and then you remember the semi-final where we, we smacked Arsenal 5-1 and it's just like man we did have we got the cake and we ate it that day so even though it's the the, um, the League Cup and it's nothing compared to reaching the Champions League final the for me personally the fact that we didn't go on to win the final will always slightly dampen that moment of us um, coming through against Ajax and it's, it's such a weird thing to say but is winning in a cup is winning a trophy better than becoming runners up I, d- I don't know sometimes it's almost worth that it's not even this losing a semi-final is I don't know it's, t- it's a really difficult question and you can see the way I'm struggling here um I'm gonna go. It's awful, but maybe the League Cup is better than not winning the Champions League final. I don't oh, know. No, no, it's awful. No, no, it, I, no, I feel no. terrible saying it. It's like, who, <laughs> my, who would you rather run over your mum or your dad? It's, it's terrible <laughs> either way. But I don't know. I, I, no, I'm not. I refuse to be drawn on this. I'm, I'm going to revoke that, and I'm going to refuse just to to answer. <laughs> I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I fully appreciate what you state what you're saying. But the Ajax semi final. I mean, what? There's not a lot that can be better than that. Winning the Champions League would be better. Winning the Premier League would be better. Mm. That's it. Like, yeah, but then you you see that, and then but then say for like picture Twitter for example, Spurs doing that, and then underneath an Arsenal fan has commented, you know, with the capital small capitals, capital small, say, but we didn't win the trophy, and it's always it's always that the Ajax game always comes down is always caveated by the fact that we didn't win the final. Had we won the final, then it would be probably the greatest moment of my life, but. But we didn't, so it's always, it's always it's just been soured a little bit. It's caveated by other by fans of other clubs, but it's not caveated by Spurs fans, I don't think. Well, I just caveated it. But so. I mean, for me, there's no caveat there. I had to, I have such happy memories of that game, um, and it is a, it is one of those games that's famous across football. It's not just within the Spurs mm. fandom. It's it's renowned as being a magical moment in in modern football history. And rightly so. It, it really, I mean, it's a it's a fairy tale story. It's it's ridiculous. It's what happened in that game is absurd. It just doesn't happen like that in football. And it happened. And it happened to us. And I imagine that you know Spurs supporting parents will be telling their Spurs supporting children about Lucas Moura and his goals against Ajax for many many generations to come. And that's that's amazing. Will they be telling them about? George Graham grinding out a League Cup win. No, but now you're now you're being 
bit, a bit funny because I wasn't referencing the the one 0 against Leicester. I was talking about the one that was talking about the League Cup against Chelsea. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I refuse to talk anymore on this. <laughs> I'm just, just going to dig a hole for myself. <laughs> so Barley's taken a vow of silence. How about you, Nathan? Uh, well, I guess I'm coming to a vaguely similar conclusion. My point would be, do not allow Arsenal fans on Twitter to dictate your joy of football. There's, there's like an, uh, more than that as well. Don't let other Spurs fans do it either. There's an, there's a element to this question. It's like, um, am I allowed to have enjoyed the IX game more? Do I have permission? Am I a, a proper football fan mm. if I preferred this game in which we didn't win the cup? And like, don't, don't ask permission, man. Enjoy what you enjoy. Prefer what you prefer. Like the 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 nonsense that football is in its entirety about trophies is is bollocks, dude. Yeah, if I you know. love that IX game, then love that IX game. What? Absolutely, and I can totally understand why you would. There is no correct way to be. A- Tottenham fan or to be a football fan mm. and that game was was in one of the best football watching memories of my life for sure well I think if I if I have to compare it so there's only one other game in my life which comes close to that and it was the 2006 World Cup semi-final it where an amazing match Italy win and then they win the final and it's just like Jesus this is like everything an incredible football match and then you like you watch Netflix cut to end of the documentary text comes up and then they went on to win the final great like you can imagine when they make the film about the the Ajax game and then but then Tottenham lost the final after a handball versus Soko. If you speak to my dad about the the greatest game of the century when Italy versus Germany in Mexico nineteen seventy, an incredible match of football. But you ask him about it and he's just like, But yeah, then we got pumped in the final by Brazil. So yeah, it's it, maybe it's maybe it's my DNA. <laughs> maybe it's just something I've just got from my dad, my DNA where it's just miserable. And I, I just refuse to um enjoy those moments because I know what, what I know what's around the corner you, you know? enjoyed it at the time right when Lucas amazing. put that ball in and we jumped into each other's arms buddy <laughs> tears in our eyes screaming on top of our lungs we didn't know yeah. what was to come a few weeks later the no. joy at the time was pure and we should remember it for what it was it's, it's true like we were favorites in the final either we didn't let ourselves down terribly no no but yeah it's true you are you, you're celebrate you've, you've you've got a winning lottery ticket you're crossing the road you're celebrating that you've got a lottery ticket unaware that the 221 bus is coming up the <laughs> <laughs> to, to wipe you out yeah I need to cheer up I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> and on that note we'll uh, we'll leave it there but before we go uh, we've been doing isolation recommendations so I'll start with you this time Nathan uh, well you opened it up to music last week I really enjoyed uh, the the album that you recommended uh, remind me what it's called Black Beans Black Beans yeah Jeezy uh, in Exile yeah really good that's the one yeah really really good album um, I have been following a a multi-platform <laughs> music account uh, called My Analog Journal he's a a sort of a, a a disc jockey I suppose and he puts together uh, playlists of very obscure sort of uh playlists that are like themed so like 70s turkish funk and that kind of Ooh. thing um and you can find the playlist like on on soundcloud or whatever or maybe he's putting them together elsewhere but i i strongly recommend watching the youtube channel because he films himself and you can watch him uh you know walking around in his chinos with his flat white um 
and uh, uh, finding the track, the specific track that he wants on the headphones on the album on the left and lining it up and waiting for the track on the right to finish and then blending it across as he presses play and then switching them back and forth and he shows you the, the album covers as he's doing it and then maybe he switches out to a single and it's just a it's a real pure, authentic hipster delight. Mm. Um, and it's really it's really good working from home music. I've been I've been playing his stuff all day long when I'm when I'm working at home. Um, yeah, just a really good <laughs> really good vibe. Nice. And um, what's it called? I, sorry, my analog journal. Right. Okay. Uh, I also watched Captain Fantastic last night, uh, which I'd never seen before, and it made me cry. Pretty good. What's that? Uh, it's a film uh, starring Vito Mortensen, who is oh, he's, um, he's so good. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Aragorn. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Vigo Mortensen, isn't it? Vigo, not Vito. Uh, it is about. It's a fiction, although it's got some vague base in reality about a uh, a couple who raise their children in the wilderness and homeschool them, or I guess not homeschool them, but sort of forest school them. Uh, and raise them on sort of um, much much higher standards than um, than than we do in our sort of um, modernized Western culture. So he teaches them, of course, to survive, to hunt, to prepare foods, to be athletically fit, and all of those kind of skills. But he also teaches them the art. He teaches them literature. He teaches them music and science and maths, all through book based learning. Um, and then events transpire. Uh, it it uh, um, I don't know. It, it, it really it really struck a note with me sounds good sounds good how about you buddy what have you been up to um the obvious one is um the last dance the michael jordan documentary which is which is brilliantly brilliantly um set up i think everybody's kind of watching it if they haven't they're on the verge to watch it but mm-hmm. just watch it to on show my list a, yeah just to show a, a person so determined to um to to come out on top but there's also um i've started watching into the night which is a belgian tv show about people um running away from the sun because if you get hit by the sun you you die and they kind of <laughs> hide they hijack a plane <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> they they hijack a plane and they're flying around the world against the sun because basically the sun um it, it microwaves things and if you get caught in it you're dead so um <laughs> it's it's ridiculous but it's <laughs> It's kind of what you need in the in the in these days when it is ridiculous outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Why not? Yeah. Good old disaster. I, I've been enjoying it. I've been enjoying it, and I'm watching it dubbed as well, just because I, I like to do it while I'm cooking or washing up. And obviously, you can't cook and read subtitles, so I'm watching it dubbed, which has its own entertainment levels as well. <laughs> uh, I have to recommend Adam Buxton's book. I read, I I listened to the audiobook version, which was wonderful because I really like his voice, his jingles, everything about him. Basically, it's called Ramble Book, and it's fantastic. But also, this morning, I was just uh, scrolling through Twitter, and I noticed a link to an article about uh, this, these two guys who launched a Sudoku uh, YouTube channel. They, they One of them certainly was in investment banking. He quit his job and he launched a YouTube channel where it's him and his mate doing solving Sudoku puzzles. And I watched, I didn't intend to watch it, but I ended up watching a 25-minute video of a, of a middle-aged man, the home county's accent, uh, completing a Sudoku puzzle. Um, I was just going to literally like have a look and laugh at how ridiculous it was that this had been seen by millions of people, but I got absolutely hooked on it and it was but wonderful and really relaxing. <laughs> So there we go. Would you compare it to watching me play out our season on FIFA via Twitch? Uh, uh, you, his commentary is better than yours. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> 
And on that note, take good care, everyone. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Barney for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D. Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.ca and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.